0: learn more about what him and his team is up to by going to CapitalGainsTaxSolutions.com. And we're going to dive into something that is relatively newer to my listeners, Brett. We're going to be talking about deferred sales trust and what everything has to do with this. And if you are concerned about capital gains when it comes to real estate investing or any high sale asset for that matter, this is the episode you're going to want to stay to the end. So Brett, I really appreciate your time here tonight. Jack, thanks for having me. So let's start things off. And I warned you, we're going to have to get a little nitpicky on this and dive pretty deep as to what deferred sales trusts are. Let's just start off as if I'm not aware of this at all. Uh, Let's break it down for everybody. What is this trust?
1: Yeah. Most most high net worth individuals, they struggle with capital gains tax. So first, we're defining what we're trying to solve for. It's exiting something that's highly appreciated. And the tool that we use is called a deferred sales trust to defer that tax, like a 1031 exchange, like an IRA. And the neat part is once it's in the trust, you can diversify the investments and you can purchase investments or different asset types at optimal timing. So it is a business trust coupled with a tax strategy or tax code called IRC-453. And it's those two combinations that allow you to defer tax, to be a primary home, business, cryptocurrency, investment real estate, save a failing 1031 exchange. And then from that point on, invest the funds and receive back payments from the trust in order to pay tax when you receive it. So think of it like a delayed tax trust or think of it like an IRA or 401k, but it's for highly appreciated assets like million dollar plus deals.
0: Okay. Could you break things down unless even now that you brought it up, the 1031 exchanges is the obvious comparison there. What would be the big differences between the two strategies?
1: Yeah, the biggest difference I would say for the 1031 exchange and the deferred sales trust has to do with number one, timing, right? Our parents taught us to sell high and buy low, not Sell high and buy higher 180 days later. We call that the shotgun wedding with the 1031 exchange. And in fact, the 2008 crash taught us to make sure that we're not overpaying for properties prior to when values are going high and about to shift and have too much debt and not enough diversification. Whereas the deferred sales trust, you're able to dollar cost average, you're able to buy real estate at any time you want to and still remain in a tax deferred state. So, number one is the ability to do timing. Number two, Is the ability to be out of debt, right? Debt is your friend when the deal makes sense and you can leverage up. But debt is not your friend when prices are still pretty high and debt is going higher with interest rates and cap rates are still relatively pretty low. I'm talking about commercial real estate mostly right here, but it's really any type of asset. And so right now, we believe it's a great time to be out of debt, to be diversified, to be liquid and be on the sidelines. Whereas the 1031, you're required to buy equal or greater value of asset value, but also of debt replacement. And so that creates the challenge of staying in this 1031 loop where if the music stops, you could be in trouble. The next thing would have to do with the ability to eliminate estate tax. So most people think of a 1031 exchange, Jack, and they say, you know what? Swap until you drop and then get a stepped up basis and I'm tax free or my kids are tax free. That's amazing. Not so fast. It's your cap gains tax free. Yes. If they can sell at a new adjusted basis, stepped up basis, but you're not a state tax free. Estate tax has to do with 40% any of anything above 24 million married, totaling single. So you got to really clarify what you're solving for. Whereas the deferred sales trust, you can move funds outside of the taxable estate, eliminate that estate tax. And that's a powerful way to create and preserve our wealth. So those are just three there. We can dive into more if, if you like as well.
0: Yeah, this, it's really interesting. Could we back? You mentioned you're yeah. passing this down, your inheritance. We're all seeking that generational wealth that is, is something that most real estate investors are after, could you essentially defer these gains indefinitely using this trust? The
1: answer is it depends, but the typical way we do structure it is we do 10-year increments, whereas, whereas let's say it's a $10 million sale of, let's say, Bitcoin, and you would have paid $4 million in tax. We're going to keep all $10 million in the trust. We're going to defer all that $4 million, you're going to live off the interest. As you receive interest payments, you'll pay tax on that, ordinary income. But as long as you don't dip into that $10 million principal balance, that's in a deferral state. And every 10 years, you can renew this promissory note. See, the person has become the lender. They sold the assets to the trust in exchange for a promissory note, 100% financing. And the ultimate trust sold it to the ultimate buyer and received cash. And that's how it establishes a new basis. But every 10 years, you can re- renew the promissory note and push it out for another 10 years of the principal remaining intact. You can also take principal interest. You can take P&I, you can do lower amounts of interest. Our interest rates are typically around 5 to 8% net of the recurring fees. And that's a cool thing, but that's on the full 10 million versus like 6 million after tax. Now, as far as the living trust is concerned, you can have the promissory note as a part of your living trust which can pass into your heirs and they can continue the tax deferral as well. So yes, there is a way to continue to go long-term with these trusts.
0: With all of that, you mentioned cryptocurrency. I would imagine there's been quite a bit of change in the market to make this more of attractive. What are you seeing in the market conditions, whether it's real estate investing, cryptocurrency, or other investment strategies that have changed the landscape in your world?
1: Absolutely. And the majority of our deals are business sales and real estate deals. And we find that multifamily properties, dentists, optometrists, veterinarians, tech sales, all sorts for public and private stock. That's the more, more traditional exits. Okay. Now cryptocurrency world is kind of like the Wild West, but we believe that the deferred sales trust is great for it because you have such high highs and low lows and it happens very quickly. Right. So for example, we help the client. She bought Bitcoin for 50,000 and went to 50 million, exit at 54,000 a coin, 5 million and deferred 1.85 million of tax. Helped another client who had Ethereum and that Ethereum went from 100,000 to 13 million and he was able to exit 7.5 million and and defer about 37% in tax on that sale. Also, he was a part of Celsius and he's able to get out of that before everything went crashed and they went bankrupt basically. To answer your question now, I think we're in a real estate market that is starting to shift, right? Interest rates are starting to catch up and starting to push cap rates higher. I believe that if you don't have a value-add multifamily for me or mobile home parks and your housing assisted living or just a value-add play in whatever commercial real estate you're buying, then it's going to be difficult, right, to pay the prices that sellers are still expecting, right? So we want to be cautious. You want to be cautious about how much debt you're taking on. And you want to make sure there's a business plan to improve the property through forced depreciation. As far as the stock market, I'm not an expert there. We work with financial advisors who are experts in that. And the key is, is, you know, bring in the specialists who know how to help you with those kind of things.
0: I'd imagine that there's some gotchas associated with this. You already mentioned that drawing a salary or something to live off of out of these trusts, and you're going to have to pay taxes on those draws. What are some of the other things that we really need to be aware of when we have we establish a trust like this?
1: Yeah, if you're looking to spend the money, in other words, a better way to ask this question is perhaps, or a better way for me to answer it is, who is the deferred sales not for? Like, why? What are some of the downsides? Why wouldn't you use it? First would be if your deal is too small, if it doesn't have a million dollar net proceeds, million dollar gain, in other words, enough tax to defer. We like to see about two to four hundred fifty thousand of tax, kind of that range. And that's typically about 25 to 50% of your gain, depending on what state and depreciation or capture you have. So if you don't have enough gain, gain being about a million and enough net proceeds, about a million per transaction, we found that it just doesn't make sense because you can't really scale with the fees. Fees are about one and a half to 2%, no matter how and where the funds are invested. And so you you got to make it make sense there. Okay. So that's number one. Number two would be if you need to spend all the money on a primary home or want to spend all the money in the primary home on a boat or fancy stuff. Like if you're not planning on investing it and you're not planning on having, waiting for these funds to consume them, then it's probably not a good strategy for you as well because it's taxable for whatever you use for personal use. Those are the two main ones. The other ones that people really are concerned with, what is it going to be more of an audit risk, especially with these 87,000 agents that are coming online. And it's actually not, and we don't think it will be because trusts are very low in the totem pole. And everything we do, we report it as an installment sale as a 453, and we report that it was actually received when it's received. We give them a 1099, they pay the tax. And we actually think it's actually a big win for the government because the government has people exiting at higher prices when it makes sense and diversifying that equity. Part of the nature of the deferred sale trust is to diversify into multiple investments and dollar cost average and make sure that you have some liquidity to this thing, right? So you can service service the note to pay you back or the trust can service the note to pay you back. So those are a few of the things, but people all honestly just need to learn about it, understand it, get comfortable with how we execute it, and then see if it's a good fit for you.
0: You talked about the IRS and a few other things. Is there a lot of reporting or what do you need to keep track of? And it sounds like You made mention of it earlier when you're renewing something every 10 years, you got to keep track of all this stuff. What kind of services do you offer outside of the trust to make sure everything stays kosher? It's
1: a great question. It's actually one of the most important questions for anyone who's bringing you a tax deferral strategy, especially for multi-million dollar deals that are going to be involving IRS and wealth. And the number one question you ask is what kind of audit defense is provided? The law firm that created the structure, who are our strategic alliance, they provide lifetime audit defense. And they've never failed, which is remarkable. Okay? In 26 years, thousands of closes, not one single negative result on any of the transactions. And there's been uh, about 20 or so audits, most of them random audits. They weren't triggered by the, the trust. They were just a high net worth individual, happened to get audited during that audit. The IRS found that and said, I'm curious, what's this deferred sales trust thing? They went through that and those are all no change, no findings. So it's batting a thousand as a private letter ruling. But the key is who's going to defend should the IRS come knocking. That is the law firm that does the trust. uh, That's really important. As far as the other part of it, I mean, we work with financial advisors. We try to find and work with uh, commercial real estate operators and syndicators who might have opportunities and also with brokers across the country to find deals. Because one of the cool things about the trust is you it can partner with you to buy more deals, right? So you're not becoming, you don't have to be 100% passive, although you can be. You can also use the trust as a joint venture partner. To help you develop land, develop real estate properties, buy a new business. In fact, we got a deal in Alabama we closed for a $2.6 million business sale. And he used the funds, he was his mid-40s to partner with him to build 72 units in Tennessee. And so that was a really neat thing for him because otherwise he would have paid all the tax. But instead, tax was deferred and it came in as a silent partner with him to help him build the project, right? So less debt he had to take on, less investors he had to take on. So it's very flexible what you can do. So we help to strategize and build all of that out post-close, because it's just as important to close, feel good about the structure. And then it's the post-close, how you execute the business plan.
0: Yeah, Just to remind everybody, head over to CapitalGainsTaxSolutions.com for some more information on how Brett's team can help you maybe with this. So I think a lot of people are going to want to know, Brett, if you're willing to share like what sort of fees and costs mm-hmm. that would be associated with setting something like yeah. this up.
1: Happy to share. And everything, by the way, is conditional, 100% conditional, no cost, no fees, unless the deal closes. For any reason it doesn't close, you decide not to use it. Uh, you don't owe us anything, right? So that's the first thing. And we actually do, we will analyze the deal. We will talk with your m and advisors, real estate professionals, all of it, break it all down, look at the contract. And it's it's all conditional in uh, if you actually use the trust. Okay. So that being said, let's just imagine it's a million dollar deal to keep it simple. It's about fifteen thousand as a one time fee is the first fee. Fifteen thousand out of the sales out of the gross sales at the close of escrow based on the gross sales price, one point five percent of the first million. If it was like a two million dollar deal, it'd be on that second million, it'd be one point two five. So you basically one one point five on the first million. Anything above that, one point two five. That's a one time fee to the tax attorney who created the structure and that's lifetime audit defense. Okay. For the trustee, myself and financial advisor, we're typically somewhere around 1.5 to 2%. And it's a uh, recurring fee. It's an annual fee. It's a management fee, right? So no matter how and where the funds are invested, whether it's all in securities, whether it's a mix between some real estate and some securities, it's about 1.5 to 2%. Our goal is to net typically about 8% net of those recurring fees. So our goal is to try to earn 10, not a guarantee, not a promise, to try to net eight. right? And the rule of 72 kicks in, which states that we can earn 7% compounding over any 10-year period of time, we can double that money. Now, most of our clients are going to take some interest payments. And this is how we can make the deferred sales trust an investment and not an expense because they can slowly take the investments or the interest from the trust and not have to pay all of the tax in a given year and let the other amount accrue and compound, it's, it's a great way to, to do some tax flow planning, not just cash flow planning. The other thing that you can do is to offset this expense or make this deferred sales trust an investment, not an expense, is to I, I'll ideally buy low, right? Buy when the market makes sense. So you're buying a good deal. But also if you're actively involved in buying that deal with the trust, you can get a new depreciation schedule, which is a powerful way as real estate investors ourselves, we want to be able to offset the cash flow with the depreciation. Now you don't get the full depreciation schedule the way we structure. It's about 80%, but it's a great way, especially if you've owned multi-paying for 27 and a half years or commercial for 39 to reset, right? And start to get some of that, the way that lo- some lost offset that cash flow. So those are just a few ways to make it an investment, not an expense. And, and that's those are the fees. Okay.
0: Yeah. When you're talking about the dollar amounts that you are talking, that sounds very reasonable, frankly. When you're, Talking about this earlier, for some reason in my mind, when you said trust, I expected one account, but it, it sounds like you essentially, you establish a different trust for each transaction. Is that fair to say?
1: So the opposite. So it's one trust, although we might have a second trust if it's if it's above $10 million basically on a married couple per year, and they're, they have their ultra high net worth above $24 a married or $12 million single, and we're going to eliminate the estate tax. So potentially two trusts for our clients. But most of them are just using the one trust. Mm-hmm. And the one trust is set up one time. And in each transaction, you can move some a million of crypto, three million of a primary home, five million of a commercial real estate. They're separate promissory notes. Right. Okay. So each have their own schedule and all the funds can go into one account, but multiple promissory notes and then can be invested into multiple things. Okay. So it's a cool sure. way to consolidate multiple properties and get a kind of a pile of cash. And then you can use a majority of that as a down payment on like a big apartment complex or a big purchase. So it's a, with no timing restrictions, right? Whereas 1031 exchanges can be a whole mess if you're trying to just keep the ownerships going in all these different directions at different times. Hopefully that answers the question, Jack.
0: That makes sense. For a second there, I, I got the two mixed there. So that that makes a lot more sense. But it is and one the, trust
1: per family, right? So these trusts right. are never co with other trusts. They never do business with anybody else. Each trust has its own individual EIN. And it only does business with a single person or if that person's married, that married couple. And uh, yeah, so that's how we keep it all, the integrity and keep it safe and keep it transparent.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I thought interesting, Brett, is that before you came on, I knew you had written a book. So I went and I was going to try to order a copy of it. But unfortunately... It's sold out. Is it that popular right now? This it's not actually released top?
1: yet. It's not a release yet. And we have, it's so we're still just waiting to, to do the release, but it's, yeah, it's called Building a Tax for Exit Strategy. And, and it's, it's a proven playbook for unlocking your ideal wealth plan on selling assets of any kind for yourself or your clients. It really is just my story. It's, the, it's some inspiration, some education, and some deal stories to give you confidence in what this is and what it's about. And then we have some really smart people like Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank in the book. And some others that are in real estate and financial advising to give you an intro and to get you some inspiration of because people it's hard for people, right? They go, Is is this I haven't heard about it? My CPA didn't tell me about this. Like, how do I not know about this? And that's where I was at Marcus and Millichap years ago. We thought we were the Navy SEALs of investment real estate, 1031 exchanges and multi properties and all this stuff. And then we learned something new, right? And it was but unfortunately we learned a couple of years too late because the market had crashed in 08 and clients, friends, and family lost half or everything because they had too much debt. None of diversification, and they knew they were overpaying for the ten thirty one a couple of years prior, but they felt they had no option because they are going to hit with the tax and so that became the inspiration for man, if there's a better way, let's do it and so this book will lay it out the play by play of my story and the deferred sales trust and it's it's cool it's exciting, it's fun, and some it's, it's and it's got some really smart people in the book as well it's not just me it's a number of, it's about twelve different people talking about what their expertise is, how to create and preserve our wealth and investing and then weaving in the Deferred Sales Trust kind of along the way.
0: I was going to ask you why you chose to write a book. I mean, that it couldn't have been an easy process.
1: Yeah, just to get out the story. And I think also to be able to give people an opportunity to read versus just watch videos. And it was just a goal of mine and to get all the thoughts organized in a way that someone can pick up and read it in about an hour or so, hour and a half or so. And yeah, that's probably it. Nothing more than that.
0: When can people expect to see that release then?
1: We're looking at uh, the next thirty or sixty days or so. It's just we're f- some final edits on the on the, on the book.
0: You're going to get it sold through your website, Amazon, wh- where Amazon,
1: and then our website. Yeah.
0: Could you talk a little bit about the process? Like, what I'm always interested in this. Has this been a thing that you've been working on for a years, or is it? Did it come together pretty quickly?
1: Oh, about a year. Yeah, been about a year, and worked with a, a marketing organization to help help put it together and publish and get it all going. Yeah. It's a okay. joint Hire the who, don't be the how. I
0: keep hearing that book brought up more times than not, and I've always had it in my Audible account, but I, I guess I've, I haven't been through it yet. So I got to get that up on the top of the list. Good idea. One more time, CapitalGainsTaxSolutions.com. And uh, Brett, I do have a few rapid fire questions for you here today if you want to tackle a few of those. Let's go. So we've all experienced especially you now you've been in this business for so long i'm sure there are a ton of tax myths real estate investing myths anything associated with real estate for that matter what are what is a myth you'd like to bust here today
1: a myth Besides the deferred sales stretch, is too good to be true. <laughs> I could bust that right now with, I think people think, oh, my CPA would have known about this. And I and then I, so I'll give them a, a give. I always like to also encourage people to, it's not just the evidence. Like I can go on for an hour about all the evidence. It's really the story that's going to help change people's beliefs. And so part of the story that I like to tell is from a gentleman named David Young, who worked with a guy named Bill Gross at PIMCO. For those who don't know what PIMCO is, they're one of the most renowned, best money managers in the world for 30 years. Okay. And these guys, two, these two guys plus four other, built it from eighty billion. Helped lead build it from eighty billion to one point two trillion. So these are like world class financial advisors and money managers. They they get approached. Well, let me back up. Bill and David and the four guys they all have a big retirement party. David and the four guys get bored. They get back together. They form an Anfield Capital, and they get approached with the deferred sales trust a couple of years back. And they're like, "Man, like we get approached with a lot of tax stuff, and we're very cautious." We're, very, we're, not, we're not really to put our name on something like this. And they go, they're not tax advisors, but they did a two-year due diligence. They're not attorneys on this, but they did hire attorneys to look at it. And they went through it in detail. And they came through with two conclusions at the end of it. Number one, the person who created it, he might be the smartest person they ever met. Number two, they were all in and they were going to become a part of kind of the inner circle and provide advisory services for, for other, other financial advisors. And so that was really cool you know kind of confidence builder for me it's always built along the way but the more i could see these very successful smart individuals who also do the due diligence and find sign the ndas and get the conclusion it busts the myth that oh it can't be true it can't be legal and yeah so the question is if it's good enough for david young and his league
0: one one of the things that i think is really interesting is what you just said there is the is it's amazing for i like I mentioned to you, I've, I'm exceeding 400 episodes of this podcast, and it's amazing how many things still pop up that I haven't heard about for the most part. And it, it just shows that I'm sure that there are multi-multi-millionaires that have been using these tools for years that just it's just not readily known about in the r- real estate investing world or just in general. Absolutely. So in, you said it does sound too good to be true. And every time that you've been on and I, I've had other people bringing up a concept of trusts in the past, and I try to keep finding ways to poke holes in it, but I, I don't even know what questions to ask to see. It does sound too good to be true. And every time I bring up an objection, it typically gets knocked down when it comes to to trust. Is, is there anything else that maybe I'm missing? Every time I, like I said. Oh, you got to ride the bike, right?
1: It's like Anything, you, until you ride the bike, you're going to be uncomfortable riding the bike. So you got to have faith and trust that the team has your back and, you're, and the team are experts and they're pros. I got an ACL surgery on my, two my knees. I played basketball in college. I remember showing it to my general practitioner and he tells, he does me the little ACL test and you've seen that when they grab the knee and they do this. And he's a general practitioner. He's very, I really respected him. And I just signed my scholarship. I'm all excited, Jack. And I'm like, I'm going to play scholarship. I got it. Boom, all boom. And then I blew my knee out two weeks later. So I'm devastated. So my I really wanted that person to say my knee was good. So he tells me, oh, you're good, Brett. You'll be back in the four weeks, six weeks of your training. You'll be back before the season starts. It was summertime. I was like, sweet. But my brother told me, he's very wise, Brett, I'd get an MRI just in case, just in case. Go get that opinion because I've had a story of a friend who had the same thing. They told her it was good and it just completely ruptured and she was your career was all the way over. So I told the doctor, I said, doctor, just in case, can I get an MRI? Like I trust your judgment on, but, and I, I have faith that what you're saying is true, but let me go get the MRI. So I'll go get the MRI. And sure enough, I had a completely ruptured ACL. Had I come back, it would have been devastating. I probably would never have returned. It would have been horrendous to keep playing on an injury again. And so the lesson of that is sometimes your general practitioner or your CPA or the person who's telling you, oh, I wouldn't do it or it didn't seem legal. I haven't heard of it. They don't necessarily know because they've never done it. And there's no reason for them to say yes. So this is where you come to us where, by the way, the person who started is a CPA and a tax attorney, I think he's Elon Musk of tax. He's the smartest person I've ever met. He's a genius. And if you spend some time with us at no cost no obligation, complimentary calls, 99% of everyone joins us. But sometimes people run out of time. They have 30 days to close or two days to close and or they're not bringing their CPAs along for the ride. In other words, they're bringing them on the journey. They're trying to like, hey, I need to answer right away. And they're like, I've got two weeks and I'm on tax deadline. Like, you think I'm just going to give you a green light check on this when I've never heard of it? I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't seen the structure. It's, so you got to realize as the investor, you want to be pre-planning right now. I'm talking if you're going to be selling in the next one, two, three, four years, something that's 5 million or greater, you should get with us. Go through it. Mm-hmm. Plan your exit plan, right? Have that MRI done on your structure, have that CPA come on for that opinion, but work with the brain surgeons who have created this and have a perfect legal track record, thousands of closes, billions under management. And then all of a sudden you become a believer, right? The last one I'll leave is the Mike Tyson one, right? Everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. everyone's a skeptic until they have the million dollars of tax bill. Then all of a sudden they're like, show me what you got. And we're like, here's exactly what we have. And this is how we stand behind it. So does that make sense, Jack?
0: Yep. That makes perfect sense. And it it is sad that, you know, you bring on, bring these people on board. They're supposed to be financial experts. They're supposed to help you guide through some of this. And frankly, unfortunately, they aren't going to be aware of every strategy. I I had a financial advisor who'd never heard of a a self-directed IRA before. And, you know, and that's one of the most common strategies when it comes to real estate investing. So just don't assume they know. Outside of your book, and you're not allowed to say rich dad, poor dad, what book would you recommend everybody checking out or what are you reading right now?
1: Yeah, Never Split the Difference, Chris Voss. I've reread it, listened to an audible, read it again. It's it's a great way to teach you how to communicate, to negotiate, to connect with other people in a way that helps them to feel heard and helps you to never split the difference and try to make great win-win relationships for everybody. Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference.
0: Yeah, I love that book. Top of my readers list as well. What is the biggest business mistake you've made, and what did you learn from it? Biggest business mistake I've made. What
1: did I learn from it? I would say when not buying enough real estate when the market was crashed. We we knew it was the time to buy, and and not being creative enough with deals. I had the construction background. I had the investment background. I had the brokerage background. I Had all the things right, and I should have. I remember my friend sat me down and was like, Brett, now's the time. This is like 2000, mid 2009. We should go do all these house flips. We should start to raise capital. I want to partner up with you. I've got the construction crew. You've got the knowledge and the expertise and you got client base. Let's do it. Right. And I, instead of taking that and going with it and partnering with them, I said, I want to focus on brokerage more. And it, <laughs> And I think we would have made 10X more doing what he wanted to do. And I wanted to do too, but I really wanted to do the brokerage. And so that's, I would say, not following or doing both, not limiting to like, oh, yeah, we'll just do the, we'll just do both. We could have done both. Didn't have to give up one for the other. But in my mind, I was thinking, oh, you got to give up that one to do this one. No, no, I could have done both.
0: Okay. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. If you work hard on your job, you'll make a living. If you work harder on yourself, you'll make a fortune. And this is by Jim Rohn, who's an ama- amazing leader and personal development co- coach and everything for years. He passed away years ago. But the idea is we only have one opportunity in this life to grow as leaders, our faith, our family, our fitness, our, our finances, and to work harder on those core tenets of our of ourselves and, our, and versus just working hard on the job or making that external money. Which, which, is, which is important, but not as important as these other things. If you work harder on yourself, you're naturally going to make, earn, and really become more for your family because that's what matters, right? Your legacy, your character, your development, rather than just the job, right? Or getting the degree or, or getting the promotion or closing the deal, right? That's Those are byproducts of expertise and hard work, but really focus more so on working harder on, on the, I guess, the internal things, if that makes sense, Jack.
0: Again, it's Oh, Brett Swartz, and uh, you go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com for more information. Brett, this was a great conversation. I appreciate you being here with me tonight. But is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered?
1: Not that I could think of. I'm happy that you, you had me on the show, and I look forward to connect with anybody who would like to learn more.
0: Again, it is Capital Gains Tax Solutions. Brett, I really appreciate it. Thanks, and we'll talk to you again sometime really soon, hopefully. Let's Bye. let's not wait so long. Absolutely. Thanks, Jack. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.